You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Everybody say, Pastor, we love you. In spite of what you may say today. Let your yes be yes. I mean, I didn't want you to repeat that part. I was just telling you to make sure that your yes is yes, for you know not what you're in for. Jesus, Luke chapter 6, he says, and he came down with them, everybody say down, and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were touched with unclean, troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. Now here's why we emphasize the word down, because in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he goes up a mountain. This text is going to sound like it's another version of that story, but it's not, because in this story, Jesus went And he stood on a level place, not a high place. So this is Jesus retelling a sermon that he already preached. And I'm so glad he does this. Because you don't always have to come up with something new. I wish somebody would have told us this. All of the time in anguish. And we could just repeat what we said because God does that. If anybody ever says to you, stop repeating yourself, you say, God repeats himself. So stop, get behind me, Satan. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor. And he doesn't say in spirit. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets." Lord Jesus, we need your help. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Luke says, blessed are the poor. In spirit changes things dramatically. Blessed are the poor in spirit versus blessed are the poor. And depending on how you want to look at it, for me, the context of the story shows that Jesus is preaching a message he's already preached a second time. We don't know which one came first, but we know that he preaches one on top of a mountain and he preaches one down low on a level place. And so Jesus two times says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And so here is challenge number one. If you would rather Matthew's version, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
than Luke's version, blessed are the poor economically. If it's easier for you to hear Matthew's, then I promise you, you are poor in spirit. But you're only blessed because you're poor in spirit if you recognize that you're poor in spirit. And the way that you can recognize that you're poor in spirit is to admit you don't like Luke's version of this. You can't get out of it. I tried all week. You cannot get out of it. If you sit there and say, you know, I think Matthew's version is better because blessed are the poor in spirit. Like, we're all blessed poor in spirit. I'm going to stick with that one. Then you're not trying to hear Jesus and Luke say, blessed are the ones who don't have money. Because none of us want that to be blessed. I'm happy that that's not the case for everybody in this room. I'm happy it's not the case for me. And I admit I'm happy because that's the first thing I said. And then God beat me up all week. God can be abusive. (laughs) Horrible. I realize that because I don't like Luke's version, then I am poor in spirit. So then my response being the quick-witted person that I am, I'm like, well, I guess I'm poor in spirit. So I guess that means I'm blessed. And God's like, but you don't believe that you're poor in spirit because you're not admitting you're wrong for hating the Luke version. So until you admit that you're poor in spirit and the evidence being you don't like what Luke says, then you haven't entered into the blessing of those who are poor in spirit because you really don't think you are. So we're stuck. Why does Jesus do what he does here? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit in one, and he says, blessed are the poor in the other. And I love this. When he's up on the mountain, he speaks transcendently on, we, we love mountaintop Jesus, the Jesus who is Lord of all, the Jesus who speaks in ways that seem really generous. But then when he's done, he climbs down to the people who can't make it up the mountain. I'm thinking maybe the lame and the crippled are down there that couldn't make it up to the Sermon on the Mount. I'm thinking maybe the elderly are down there who couldn't make it up. I'm thinking people who are out of shape like me, who are like, I love you, Jesus, but I don't feel like going hiking to hear a message today. And he goes all the way down to a level place where only poor people can be. And he says, also, you're blessed. And we have to receive both. And the second one is extremely uncomfortable, and it makes for a terrible sermon that I now have to preach. Our verse for the year this year is Hosea 6, verse 3. Let us know and let us press on to know the Lord. Let us know, but then let us press to keep knowing the Lord. And the word press means to persecute. And what it's saying is, let us know the Lord, but then let us continually persecute anything that tries to rise up against that knowledge of knowing him. Let us know, but then let us fight to keep knowing, which implies that just because we were enlightened once, just because we had a hot season in our life, just because we got saved doesn't mean that if we don't continue to maintain that awareness, it will eventually wear away. So let us know, and then let us keep pressing and fighting to know. And this is one of those messages that we need to fight. Because the more blessed you are, the more you'd rather blessed are the poor in spirit. The more you have to lose, the more you would rather hear blessed are the poor in spirit and not blessed are the poor. We don't like 
Jesus doing what he's doing here, like the crowd when blind Bartimaeus is crying out, Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner, and they're telling him to be quiet. And the reason why they're telling him to be quiet is because they don't want Jesus to stop and bless him. Because if the love of God is shown by blessing people who cannot bless you back, then we will be accountable to have to love the same way. Don't don't say anything. Jesus is passing by. Don't say anything. And we'll spiritualize and say, well, we don't want you to interrupt the teacher. No, you don't want the teacher to stop and bless him. Because if Jesus is God, and God is the kind of human who blesses somebody like blind Bartimaeus, then we have to do it also. And so we want the poor to shut up. So Jesus doesn't stop and bless them. And guess what? Jesus rebukes them and blesses him. And then they get all fake. They're like, take courage. He's calling you. Let me help you bring. (laughs) Let me help you up. Want me to get your coat? We've heard, we've heard that it is said, surround yourself with people who are where you want to be. And the gospel says, BS. <laughs> You're awesome. As if I'm not dramatic enough, you continue to help me be more dramatic. And I thank you. Surround yourself with people who are where you want to be. See, I agree with that as long as Jesus is where you want to be. And if Jesus is where you, want, where you want to be, then you have to surround yourself with the poor, the negative, the broken, the toxic. Because guess what? If Jesus didn't surround himself with the poor, the negative, the broken, and the toxic, no one would be in this room right now. Period. While we were still, everybody say still. While we were still sinners, Christ came and surrounded himself and died for and gave to the ungodly. If our social network is not consistent with groups of people that we normally would never want to be around, we are living an evil life. And we're not, we are surrounding ourselves with people that reveal where we want to be. It's just that in that moment, where we want to be isn't the kingdom of heaven. It's probably corporate America or something like that. If those strength finder websites and life coach spiritual affirmation websites came and said to Jesus, who do you want to be? I want to be Lord of all the earth. Okay. Well, who are you hanging out with? Them. Well, you're not going to be Lord of all the earth then. Well, I also came to be Savior, so I have to be around them. And what are we called to be? The body of Christ. So what are we saying about where Jesus wants to be if we're not around the poor? What are we communicating to the world if our social network looks like us? I'm around people I get along with. I'm around people I have a mutual understanding with. I'm around people who can get me places. What am I communicating as a member of the church, the body of Christ? What am I communicating to the world about Jesus? That he's an opportunist, that he doesn't want to be inconvenienced, and that blind Bartimaeus should have kept his mouth shut. But that's not the Jesus we worship. And if that's the God we call on, that is not the God of the gospel. And so we have to sit here and be very uncomfortable for a minute. And I'm going to say this. 
This room is littered with the rich and the poor, and you may possibly be both when we go through these definitions. So we have to have a broad understanding, and this isn't downstairs on a Wednesday night with coffee and a two-hour teaching, so I'm going to do my best to be as general as possible, but we have to do the work of realizing that in some areas I may be the rich and in some areas I very well may be the poor. And it's important that we know that and that we don't say because I'm economically poor that my personality isn't rich. Because I know a lot of you. And I know that a lot of you are struggling financially, but I know that when I look at you and hear you and see you, I would never be able to know that because you got a personality that has more money in it than you have in the bank. And so personality-wise, you're rich. And somebody needs that. Economically, you're poor, and you need somebody who's not. That might be, that's going to be the most positive thing right there. Like, that is, we have achieved the height of where this is going to go, and now we plummet really fast. Maybe not. The last thing I want to say before we unveil a long and messy chart, because this, as Ian said, Well, it's the Beatitudes. It's complicated. Well said. I want to say this. Jesus, unlike us, his promises are his commands, and his commands are his promises. Because he doesn't ask of you what he hasn't given you, and he doesn't give you what he's going to ask of you. So every time he says, you have to do this, He's also giving you a promise that says, when you go to do it, you will have everything you need to do it. See, we make demands that aren't promises because we can't help the person fulfill the demand we give. I guess everybody's relationships are doing well. When Jesus demands, he also gives at the exact same time, and his giving is consistent with the demand. And when he gives, he's also making a demand. So when he demands, he gives, but when he gives, he demands. They're they're one and the same. So everything he asks of you, he's already given you, and everything he's given you, he's going to ask of you, which is terrifying, which is why we'd much rather the law, because the law can only demand of me what it's willing to give me, and it doesn't give that much, so it can't demand all that much. But in grace, God gives me everything, so that means he can demand anything. I've learned to not say amen to those things over the years because I don't want God to hear that I agree with that. So So we'll start here. He says, blessed are the poor. And we'll start here and explain this. Blessed are the poor. And I love this first part. He says, blessed are the poor now, for they will be blessed in the kingdom. The word will is everything in the gospel. We have said things like, Don't mess with the book of Revelation. Let's just agree to disagree on end times because at the end of the day, no one really knows and we'll just have to see when we get there. That is a terrible thing to say because the future hope of our life is the the demarcation, is the key of us actually being able to live out the gospel because Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor because you will be blessed one day. And if they don't have hope, then they won't be able to believe what he just said. Jesus is saying, what you can see and measure is nothing to compare to what is coming, but the gap between your now and your then is hope. And if we just leave the end times because it's complicated, we won't have a word in our mouth to give to the poor who only need, the only thing they can receive is hope. Blessed are you now because you will be blessed. And here's the thing, Jesus is so perfectly faithful 
that when he says I will do something, it can be counted as if he's already done it because he's perfectly faithful. So like when I say something like, I'm on my way, I'll be there in five minutes, that might mean 10. I'm not the kind of person who has such integrity where if I say I will do something, my wife can count it as already done. It's laughably horrible to even assume that that's kind of the case. But when Jesus says, I'm going to do something, he can say, blessed are you now because you will be. It is so sure that you will be blessed that you can say you're blessed now. His yes is yes. Even a future yes is so strong that it's a present yes and probably a past yes also. The poor are poor in money, but then he also says the hungry, which doesn't just mean hungry for food. It means hungry for anything a human should have that they don't. Relationships, love, respect, honor, dignity. Blessed are those who weep. And he's talking about literal weeping. And please hear me, he's talking about clinical weeping. I'm going to explain what I just said, and he's also saying those who are hated, those who are not spoken well of. And here's, here's part one, depending on, on what you grew up in, where you may want to throw rotten tomatoes at me. And kudos to you if you brought them in advance. You have faith in a prophetic gift. So the poor that Jesus is talking about is very uncomfortable to us because it's the poor that cannot help themselves from being poor. And so the first thing I just want to remove here is if our first thought is, well, somebody's poor because they don't work hard or they're poor because they're not trying, please just flush that down the toilet for the rest of this sermon because that's not how I want to look at things. If somebody's poor because they've sinned, sin is a sickness that impoverishes all of us. So just because somebody is poor because they've sinned doesn't mean we can excuse ourselves from having to be faithful to them in their poverty because, you know, well, they blew it all on Vegas or something. It doesn't mean the poor are the poor no matter how they got there. And if we walk around saying, well, they're only poor because they're not trying hard and we leave, we're not doing what Jesus did with us. While we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. He gave us what we didn't have while we were still sinning to not have it. I'm excited about this because I, I, I like the lonely moments where it's just me and blank, angry faces. So many things. Those who weep. There are people who weep because physical things have happened, like the loss of a child or the loss of a relationship or you've moved and you miss your friends and family. But then there's clinical weeping. There are people who are broken and cannot get happy. And they're somehow born predisposed to struggling to be happy. And in the church, we have said things like, just choose happiness. Decide today that you're going to be happy. And if you're a person who clinically cannot do that, those phrases have broken you even worse. Because now you've just added guilt to my despair. Because I can't imagine somebody woke up in the morning and said, oh man, I feel good. I don't want to. I'm going to choose despair. 
Ah, I need some good old-fashioned despair, ASAP. People walk around and say, I'm really struggling with depression. Rebuke it. Nope, it's not how it works. There are the poor among us who no matter how much they yell, rebuke, get oil on them, come to altar calls, read their psalms, tithe, do all this stuff, will wake up tomorrow morning still dealing with depression. And they can't choose or claim or lay hold of what isn't there yet. I'm going to go to the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from me and bring it here, and you're still going to probably wake up upset tomorrow. I know people like this. They're in this room. And Jesus shows up for you, and he says, to those who weep, I'm telling you right now, call yourself blessed, because one day this will be over. And you will laugh. And then you will realize that in your weeping, you were always laughing, because then you will see things that you didn't see now anyway. You are blessed. He doesn't qualify and say, choose blessing. We, we sit there and say, well, doesn't Joshua say, choose this day who you will serve? As for me and my house... We can't choose to serve Jesus. That's why Jesus had to come and choose to serve God for us. If I was able to choose to serve him, I wouldn't need a savior from the fact that I can't. The law shows us where we're sinful. It doesn't show us how to get it right. Choose this day who you will serve. And my story is, I didn't choose God. But Jesus came as me and chose God in a way that I couldn't for myself. can't tell people to choose their way out of it. Sometimes you can. Sometimes it's clinical. We can't throw law on the gospel and pretend it can work because here's the reality. A plus B equals C with numbers, not humans. Plug numbers into it, and A plus B will always equal C. And if you're like a mathematician and that's wrong somewhere, I don't care. There's always that one person who's like, well, listen, I have a doctor. Uh, Sam, Sam Ivey's not here. Thank the Lord Jesus. So we're good. I don't have to worry about that. If Sam was here, he would be leaving right now. Sam, if you listen to the podcast, I love you. And I'm trying. I'm like one apple plus two apples equals like whatever, some kind of amount of apple. Numbers, you can plug into a formula and it works, but people, A plus B will never equal C because A will always be different and B will always be different and because we're human. And when you shove a human into a system, you dehumanize them. This is the secret to the life of faith and the, the abundant life is when you tithe and you give and you're generous and you remember the poor and God will keep all the sicknesses of Egypt away from you until somebody gets cancer and dies. And it turns out they were a tither. And it turns out that they remembered the poor because at their funeral, there are poor people there who are saying, I wish they were still alive because they saw me. It's true. Go tell somebody in Haiti, if they tithe, their life will be blessed. And watch how that will never work. I went to Atarsi, India. They can tithe all they want. That place is going to be impoverished a thousand years from now too. We can't throw systems that only work for us here and not for anybody else. That's throwing law onto gospel. There are just some situations that are the way they are because God allowed it to be that way and it's not something they did wrong. Didn't the disciples look at Jesus and say, who sinned, this man or their parents, that they were born blind? And Jesus said, neither. 
neither. That's not how it works. Can't just tell people to start living better and then their life will get better. That's legalism, and legalism doesn't work. Good tension in the room. Now let's talk about the rich before we tie this all together. So again, you might be poor economically. You might be poor relationally, or you may, not, you may be hungry for dignity. You may be hungry for safety. You may be hungry for a life where you can trust, and life has just done things to you that will make it impossible for you to ever trust. It'll make it impossible for you to ever fully feel happy because someone else's injustice has just broken you that bad. Jesus is saying, before we resolve any of this, Jesus is saying, in the state that you're in, you're blessed. All I can do sometimes is just speak the gospel over you. I, I can't do anything else. And, and this message feels utterly helpless on my end, utterly helpless. All I can convey is that Jesus says, if you're so broken and you know that you probably will never be able to fully heal from it, he's saying, take heart, you're blessed. And I just pray that something beyond your measurable feeling system will latch on to that and, and slowly learn what that means. And honestly, because I'm not in that situation, I will need to take notes from you one day. Because if you're that, part of my daily prayer, part of my daily prayer goes like this, Lord, be with those who are in unimaginable suffering in such a way that is perfectly unique to them and that is sufficient for them in a way that I don't get to see you. Somebody who's in unimaginable grief, be there for them in a way that you don't need to be there for me. If I ever go to that place, which I might, then I will pray that prayer and I will pray, hope that somebody prays that for me. But I want the, those grieving with unimaginable despair, unimaginable grief and sorrow and mourning to know that God will reveal himself to you in a way that is so personally unique to you that it will be sufficient for what you're going through. Because Jesus says you're blessed. And you will understand blessing in a way that I am failing to explain it right now. And there will be a testimony in your mouth. And one day in heaven, we will all be listening to your testimony of Jesus, those of us who didn't need to see him that way. Why is she pouring oil on your feet? Because she's been forgiven much. And so she has seen a part of me that you haven't needed to see. This is why he says, woe to the rich. Woe to the rich. Woe means careful, you might be judged. That's what woe means. Doesn't mean you definitely will be, but it's saying be careful because the direction you're headed in in the judgment is going to be judged very severely. So who's he talking to? He's talking to the rich in terms of money. He's talking to those who are full of all things, food, relationships, happiness, joy, peace that just happens to be gifted to you. I know people. Is Pia here? Pia, where are you? Pia, I'm, I'm going to be gentle here, I promise. I went bowling with the singles ministry on Friday. I know Pia very well. Like most of us, Pia's got stuff going on that could put somebody into a bad mood on a Friday night. Pia bowls a strike. 
And this is what I love about being pastor, because sometimes you know somebody's going through something right now. And Pia bowls a strike completely by accident, because she's not a good bowler at all, I promise you. <laughs> None of us were. Pia bowls a strike, turns around, and does a full cartwheel in front of everybody. <laughs> a full cartwheel in front of everybody. In the middle of going through difficult things, she does a cartwheel over one strike in bowling. And I sat there and said, I am not as rich as she is in happiness and personality because it takes a lot more than that for me to get excited about something. You might be poor in one area and you might be rich in another area and even if you're poor in one area, people need to see you be, if you can do a cartwheel with everything going on in your life, people need you to do that cartwheel in front of them. They need you to. Full cartwheel. I would have thrown out every joint. The pins would have all fallen when I hit the ground, and I would have had a first strike. Those who laugh, some of us have what's called bright personalities versus gray personalities. It doesn't mean you're good or bad. It's just it's a way of describing somebody who just innately is given to being a, a likable person. They, they automatically understand social cues. They automatically know when to be forceful and when not to be and when to make a joke and when not to. And then there's other people who are good-hearted, Christian, spirit-filled people, and it's just so social interaction comes difficult for you. And so there are some people where they're just, they're, they're, it's given to them by God to be able to laugh easy. And then there's other people that God didn't give that gene to. And it's, maybe, maybe you could tie that to, well, if you did your devotionals in the morning, maybe you'd laugh more. I don't know. No. Some of us are wired one way and some of us are wired another way. And if you're the kind of person who can do a cartwheel after a strike and when you already aren't bowling very well anyway, like the strike didn't matter. It's not like she was, now she won. She's still lost. Happy as heck. And the person who won only won by like eight more points than she. Like it was, it was the worst display of bowling in the history of Pat Tarsio Lanes in Newburgh. It was terrible. But some of us can't do a cartwheel even when good things happen. And we need peers in our life who can cartwheel for us. And we can get some of that joy on us. So he's saying, woe to you who laugh. And then popularity. Some of us are spoken well of. And some of us aren't for tons of reasons. And Jesus is saying, be careful if you're one of the ones where people speak well of you. There are three possibilities well, here, let me, let me just say what Jesus is talking about because we, we have to qualify why he's calling certain people poor. So Jeremiah 17, and calling people rich. Jeremiah 17 says this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. I love that verse. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Jesus is saying when your trust has become your money, when your trust has become your personality, 
when your trust has become the the popularity that you walk around with, when your trust has become the structured, beautiful, amazing life that you have where your kids are home and doing well and you got the two-car garage and everything is all good. When, when your trust is in those things, he's saying, woe to you. Woe to you. And he's not saying woe to you because it's wrong to have them. He's saying woe to you because if your trust is in them, you're not going to be generous with them. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If every definition of the good life that you have is rooted in what you can measure in this life, you're living like Jesus has not been raised from the dead. If somebody says, why are you blessed? And Jesus is not your only answer. You're living like he has not been raised from the dead. There's one reason why we're blessed, because right now we may have a lot of stuff. In a million years from now, there's only one name that we will ever mention to say why we're blessed. It's not going to be my 401K. It's not going to be how many kids I got to have. It's not going to be my spouse. It's not going to be my home. It's not going to be my church. It's not going to be getting to preach on Sundays. It's not going to be getting to Pastor Salem. It's going to be Jesus. That's the only blessing I have that's going to outlast this life. It's the only one. So if we're wealthy because we neglect three possibilities of why we can be wealthy that Jesus is critiquing, if we're wealthy because we have neglected other people, if our life is so blessed that in order to maintain what we have, we can't have a social life, it's evil, it's not blessing. If maintaining my life takes all of my energy and all of my time to the point where I'm exhausted when it comes time to have somebody over for dinner, my wealth is breeding worms. If I have to labor and worry and have anxiety and work 57, 80, 90 hours to maintain my blessing. Now, here's what I'm saying. Somebody, some people have to work that long to maintain ends meet. So I'm not talking to you. This is why we have to be nuanced. If your blessings are taking all of your time and and you're starting to manage your time like you manage money, something has gone wrong. God has given everybody. This is something Elder Paul said in the men's meeting yesterday. God has given everybody 24 hours. And it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Sometimes I spend a very small amount of time with my wife because the job calls for it. Sometimes I spend more time with my wife. But here's the reality. When it's done in faith and generosity, God can do a lot with five loaves and two fish. Some people will say, I only got an hour to be with my kids this week. But in Christ, that hour could be eternally significant. Some people will say, I only was able to make it to church once this month because of things going on that I know I needed to tend to. As your pastor, I'm saying that's cool because your one Sunday here could be counted as all four. He does a lot with five loaves and two fish. No one's going to be here next week. 
and it will expose everything. But if we're living a life where we don't have time for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ, here's what every pastor says this. If you don't have time for the body, then you have all kinds of idols. But I want to add something to it. It's not about having time to be here at events. It's being here enough to the point where you know how to be the body of Christ. If we can't be the body of Christ, which had time to be with people that nobody else wanted to be with, woe to you. And here's what I know. And this is part of the reason why they killed Jesus. So I might not be at the door today. Paul Schultz, be at the door with me, please. Rich, be at the door with me, please. Guard me. Because this is why they killed Jesus. It is evil. And there will be a difficult judgment in the end for any of us who have money and a good personality. And we just happen to be born into a family that for generations, everybody stayed together and the marriages were good. And so we've developed this view that the normal life is a life that other people cannot even imagine having. And we did nothing with it, just lived to maintain it. There will be a horrible judgment. There will be. Woe to you. He's warning you now. I know what you have because, put up the three, the next, yeah. If what you have, you have because you've neglected your gospel responsibilities to have it, it's broken. But here's the other thing. If what you have, you think you have because of a reward, broken. A good friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, has a very similar story to me in the church where we both Ended up going to a church, getting a call on our life to be in the ministry, serving faithfully, whether it was, can you make me tea? Can you bring me my Bible? Can you give me my iPad once we have, you know, like the technical revolution and all this kind of stuff? Can you rake leaves at my house? Can you paint a wall? Can you drive me to the airport? Me and my friend both in both of our lives, we did all of those things as faithfully as we could. And then we both got promoted to being pastor. And here's the reality. I have it very good compared to him. He makes $100 a month. I make a tiny little bit more than that. He's a professor at a college. He makes another whopping $10,000 a year. He's getting abused by his university. He's getting abused by his church. And he had the same level of faithfulness that I have. And if we honestly want to preach that tithing and being faithful and praying and singing and all that stuff is going to be what God will use when he sees that he'll bless you, me and my friend should be in the same situation right now. He should have it as good as I do. And he doesn't because the blessings we have in our life are not anything we've earned or deserve. It's a gift. You are a gift to me. I wasn't faithful. Listen, I can tell you right now. I wasn't faithful enough in my entire life to deserve any one of you to be sitting in these seats right now. And it breaks my heart when I hear Christians saying things like, you're not blessed because you're being disobedient. Raise your hand if you've been obedient enough to have this. Who? Jesus says, fine, you want a stoner? Stone her, but just the one with, without sin, throw the first stone. And he probably stood there like baller, like, 
He's the only one who had a stone in his hand and could have chucked it. He's the only one who could have stoned her and didn't. Everyone else had to walk away because nobody has lived well enough to get blessed. No one has. Well, he makes promises in the Bible. You know, if you remember the poor, long life, 70 years or 80 years. Paul was murdered before 80 years, before 70 years. Murdered. And he was a Pharisee. He kept all the law and he kept grace. And he was killed. God did not deliver his life. And I was talking to somebody about this, and they said, well, he delivered his life at other times. That's like saying the Giants kind of won because they were up at halftime. No! Once he didn't live to be 80, God didn't deliver him the way he said he would if you obey 70 or 80 years. It's not reward. It has to be gift. Why? Because if it's reward, then I've earned it and I get to do what I want with it. But if it's gift, it doesn't belong to me and I have to be generous with it. That's it. That's it. What I have here is gift. It's not reward. Well, you were really faithful. Not faithful enough for one second of this. I'm weighted with the responsibility to look at my friend who's in the same position I'm in and getting handled poorly in a dehumanizing way. It is my responsibility. I have more responsibility in my life than he does. If you're a joyful person, even when you're going through stuff, you have responsibility in your life to be joyful for people who can't be. It's not because you got things right in your spiritual life. It's because God gave you a gift to give to somebody else. This is just the way of God. Like Chris said last week, Chris, I can't even believe I'm preaching right now after Chris preached. I was sitting there, I'm like, I never want to preach again. Oh my, if this is preaching, let's just pack it up. Sam, we had a good run. This was awesome. He said, Jesus saw two boats and he chose one and not the other. But when the work of Christ was done in the boat God chose, the other boat got included in it. If you're joyful, he chose you to be joyful. Get somebody else's unjoyful boat into your life. If people are speaking well of you, go find somebody that nobody's speaking well of and speak well of them for them. If you have money, do not spend all of your time maintaining the big toys that you get to have. Give it. Give it away like Zacchaeus versus the rich young ruler. This one thing you lack, you have. That's one of my favorite paradoxes in the Bible. Jesus says, this one thing you lack, what you lack is how much you don't lack. But when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, he says, you know, before you say anything, the half of my goods I'm going to give away. Because something about you is taking up so much room in my life that I can't keep everything I have. I have to give it away because I just realized, Jesus, when I met you, it's gift. It's not my business acumen. It's gift. So watch what Jesus does. At the beginning of our text, Jesus is standing in a level place, and it says people were coming to him, and they were getting healed by him, and it gives this little detail. When they touched him, power went out from him. It flowed up. Watch this. Is Jesus all-powerful? No trick questions. 
Is Jesus God? Is God all-powerful? Does he have unlimited energy? Unlimited strength? Unlimited healing? Then how come Jesus had power leave him? He was able to say with the woman with the issue of blood, somebody touched me. And they said, Lord, thousands of people are touching you. He said, yeah, but somebody touched me and I felt something I used to have leave me. Jesus said, I felt something I used to have and I don't have it anymore. I know somebody touched me. But how does the unlimited one lose power? It should say he, every time they touched him, he gave power. But it says power went out. And if you think that that's just a play on words, let's just go to the cross. Life left him so that life can enter me. Jesus is what God is like. And God is like the kind of human that if he had all power, would love in a way where he lost it. Not because he took on our human qualities, not because he was limited. He was showing us the human life. And the human life is the God who has an infinite amount of everything, loves in such a way where he can say, I lost something. Love is not love until something is lost into the object that you're loving. It's not, what did David say? I will not sacrifice that which cost me nothing. If being the body of Christ and loving the poor doesn't physically cost you, it's not love. The all-powerful one lost power to show us that love is always expressed in loss. I'm tired after loving well. I'm fatigued after loving well. That's maybe why Paul said the labor of love. Maybe this is why God had to rest on the seventh day. Because even though he doesn't have to, he loves in a way that costs him something. By choice, not by necessity. For us, it's necessity. I do a cartwheel like Pia, I need to rest for a week. That's necessity. That's just poor lung capacity. That's all that is. And not a strong core. God rests maybe also from fatigue, but not because he had to, but because he chose to love in such a way that made him tired to show us the way that we're supposed to love. You ready? Jesus was the rich showing us how to be rich. He stood amongst the poor and let them touch him. And every time they touched him, something left him and entered them. So they were becoming more rich and he was becoming more poor. If laughter and good humor is where you're rich, laugh on somebody. Be around people who can't laugh. Struggle to be around people who are negative. It'll cost you, but they might giggle. If you have, if you're surrounded by a social network of love and family that's tight, go bring somebody who doesn't have that into your life. It'll cost a little more money. It'll cost a little more time. You'll have less time with the people you love, but that person will have infinitely more than they've ever had. If you're just joyful, even in midst of circumstances that would knock somebody else out, you're rich. I know people in this room right now where stuff has happened to you that would cripple people. 
And somehow you're still here jumping all over the place on a Sunday. And on one level, you're poor because injustice happened to you. But on another level, you're rich because you have a bounce back that other people need to see. We have to be the body of Christ in this particular way. We have to be. The woman with the issue of blood pushed through a crowd. She needed to find somebody who was more rich than her sickness. Jesus was positioned in the crowd so that she could push through and find him. And my concern... The woe that Jesus is talking about is, Jesus is saying, look at me. I'm rich, and I put myself in a position to give my wealth away. Whether it's, if I have health, I'm giving that health away. If I have life, come see me on Good Friday. I'm giving my life away. But watch this. He positioned himself in the crowd, knowing that the poor was somehow pushing through this crowd of rich people. Because the poor always have to do that. They shouldn't. If you read the story of the man getting let down through the roof, if you read it in both versions, it was religious leaders that were crowding the doorway, so somebody had to climb through a roof. That should never happen at Salem, ever, once, zero, zero times. First of all, we just paid a lot of money for the new roof, so please get out of the way, because I will not be as gracious as Jesus. She pushed through the crowd, and she found a rich person and touched the hem of his garment. My concern is that if poor people are pushing through the crowd and we're not doing our job, all they'll ever get is more crowd. They'll just be pushing for the rest of their life, never finding the hem of that garment. Are we who are rich standing in a position to have our resources drained a little bit? And the last thing I want to say is this. Because of the culture we live in, none of us feel like we're rich. Because we're always being presented. Listen to me carefully. We are always being shown a little bit more than we can afford. They'll never show us too much more than we can afford. Because it'd be easy not to do it. But you're always being shown just this much more than you can afford. And so you bite. I buy that car. It's just $30 more a month than I'm paying now. I get the house. It's just twenty-five thousand more than my the top end of my budget. We just have this conversation where if your budget just for whatever it is, say your budget is a hundred, and like say it's between seventy and a hundred, so you know seventy is the low end, a hundred, a hundred and one, you have to say no. Once you say once, it's just a dollar more. You have opened the floodgates to going to two hundred and five hundred and eight hundred, and then you get used to it and numb to it, and then you be in horrible, debilitating debt. We're always being told that we almost are rich. And so none of us feel rich because we'll say things like, well, I'm paying for school and I'm paying for a car and I, you know, I had to buy a new wardrobe for my job and I had to buy a new bag for my job and then it's like I'm commuting so I have to get gas like three times a week. And we're listing all these things that poor people don't get to do. <laughs> it's still rich. And this is where it's really uncomfortable because we actually have to ask ourselves, are the things I'm involved in keeping me from the people who a million years from tonight are still going to matter? 
And if I, if I had an aneurysm right now and I had to stand before the throne room, would I really want to tell God, you know, I was, I was just commuting a lot. That's why I didn't have one homeless person over my house. Or that's why I didn't have, you know, the person who sits in the far corner of the church that I don't like. I never had them over because I'm busy. Jesus, I was busy. I wish I didn't just say that just now. I'm going to be quiet. It would be horrible. And you know what? There's a responsibility on the poor too. The rich have the greater responsibility to be where the poor are. But the poor have to reach. Entitlement does not work. The poor have to reach. The woman pushed through the crowd. Blind Bartimaeus called out to Jesus. And when they told him to shut up, he called out all the more. If you're hurting, it is horrible to ask for help, but push. Put a demand on the church to be Jesus for you. And that's why we come to this meal right now. Because me and my pastor friends, we always have a debate. Is the table of the Lord an open table or a closed table? Is it only for Christians or is it for anybody who comes in the room? And I always say it's open to anybody who comes into the room because Judas got to have it. I'm pretty sure none of us betrayed Jesus to death physically. So if Judas gets to have some bread and some cup, I'm not going to tell somebody they can't. But here's what I will say. If you're content being rich, don't come to this table because this is a poor person's meal. This isn't filet mignon and sea scallops. Mm. Mm. Wrapped in bacon with like a lemon butter sauce on there. Shundai. Mm. What happened? This is a poor person's meal. You can only come here if you're poor. It's bread. It's the basic human necessity. So if you know that you're poor, what you need here is you need to have the humility to push and reach out to somebody. And if this message is messing with you, and you're getting mad and agitated because you just have too much to lose to obey it, get on a bread line. Stand with poor people. Feel what it's like to not have, to, to have to come and receive. Because you can't get this meal yourself. We're too impoverished to make this meal. Let's stand to our feet. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.